Hello, you are again tuned in to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, the UK Geek Podcast. This is episode 430, recorded on... Actually, I don't know. Ah, yes. Wednesday, the 16th of March, 2022, at 16.51.57. Here we are again. Finally, I'm back. A few things happened, which I'll get into during the podcast, and which explain my absence from podcasting. Short absence. Oddly, it is daylight as I'm recording this, which makes a change. I'm recording this using my little Sony PCMM10 recorder with a Shure SM58 plugged into it. I'm going to be talking about mics a bit later, probably for the last time in any great detail. But today, we are here because I have accumulated so much kipple between pods that it's impossible for me to mix in this stuff with an ordinary science fiction, fantasy and horror episode. Today... You'll be hearing some of the vanilla media content I've been consuming, some IRL problems I've had to deal with, and a little about tech. Things that I want to get off my chest, but would completely fill up a normal episode of Crash. And this is part of my attempt at removing non-science fiction, fantasy, and horror content to a separate episode. I could call it an After Dark episode, but for two things. First, I'd have to kill myself, because everyone calls their episodes that are slightly different to their main content an After Dark episode. And it is daylight still. Yeah... Not really an After Dark episode, then. I could have done this in a blog post. My show notes are okay enough to be called a blog post, but as podcasting is my thing, and I wanted to get back into podcasting, I suppose this is the best way of doing it. So today, be forewarned, not that much geekly content. Some, but not that much. Just me talking about stuff. Let's start off with the war in Ukraine, which is something you really just can't get away from. The war, the invasion, call it what you will, they are both words that Vladimir Putin hates. What's he calling it? A special military operation? Some crap like that. It's still going on. It's on the news all the time. It is the topic of the day at Castle Royenstein, as it is in many UK and European homes. I was in two minds whether to include this stuff at all, but we're talking about it here, so I might as well tell you my thoughts. First of all, the question of whether I am shocked that there is a war in Europe. Well, frankly, no. From what you have heard from the media in general, everyone's 
shot and their hair's gone white and they're throwing their arms up in the air. And yes, it's a serious thing. It is war. People die. It is terrible. But I'm not surprised. Europe is not a magic place that is immune from war. I mean, I find it very hard to believe that everyone seems to have forgotten the Bosnian War, which killed tens of thousands of people. While we're patting ourselves on the back for being in Europe, and thus far more civilised than the peoples of other parts of the world, off the back of subjugating and ripping off the peoples of other parts of the world. The other thing to think about is that Europe has already been the centre of two world wars that killed millions. Do we really want a third? I think it's a very obvious point that I have not heard anyone bring up yet, and something that those of a more hawkish disposition should think about. I can't help comparing our, the West's, treatment of the Ukraine war with Russia to the other wars around the world which we really haven't supported that well. For example, Ahmad Massoud's resistance in Afghanistan, the people in Myanmar fighting the military junta, the oppression of Uyghurs and... Hong Kong by China, and the coalition opposing Bashar al-Assad in Syria, and many other struggles of non-white peoples globally. Shouldn't we also be supporting them to the same extent that we seem to be supporting Ukraine? Not that Ukraine doesn't deserve our support, it does, but this whole attitude does seem a tad hypocritical. And talking about hypocritical things, there's our government's mixed response to British volunteers going off to fight in Ukraine. I was surprised to hear Foreign Secretary Liz Truss offering her, quote, absolute support, unquote. I find this surprising because we have been warned against doing things like this. Right after Liz Truss's statement, Boris Johnson warned that people who do this could be breaking British law, much like Aidan James, a chap who fought for the Kurds against ISIS in Syria, and then was prosecuted under UK terror laws when he came home. I have also been reading that Ukraine, as well as opposing pro-Russian factions within the region, have both legitimised and made part of their military's far-right neo-Nazi militia. I find this somewhat ironic, given Vladimir Putin's spurious denazification justification for invasion. When you combine this information with... The, for example, Azov Battalion's relationship with border guards. The Azov's one of those far-right groups. And then the treatment of African and Asian students on both sides of the border. You have to ponder the wisdom of either side, Ukraine or Russia, incorporating extremist groups into their forces. I certainly hope that we're keeping track 
of who gets their hands on stingers, javelins, laws, and surplus or dumped Russian or Ukrainian smalls arms and hardware and artillery and mobile armour. When the war ends, we need to see where this all ends up. I'm saying this because we already know that neo-Nazi groups hold the tactics of the Taliban and ISIS slash Daesh in high regard. They admire those guys, probably because they're thinking, hey, if this group who aren't that big or well-armed can oppose a huge superpower, so can they. And because of that, I'm worried that there may be unintended consequences to this war, the worst of which being to inadvertently arm a Taliban-style neo-Nazi militia in Europe. That would be a bad idea. Ukraine is a place I paid scant attention to in the past. The huge area of Ukraine has a long history. In brief, that history (laughs) comprises of the Scandinavian Rusch, the Russian Empire, Cossacks, Poland, the Soviet Union, the fall of the Iron Curtain, the Orange Revolution. It's a long and checkered and complicated history that I have followed vaguely in the papers, but cannot honestly say that I have invested much time in until now and this Russian invasion. Even my own country, the UK, has been partly culpable for buggering up the region. I'm talking about the Crimean War of 1858, a war which all I can remember of from history lessons, and more recently Doctor Who, is Mary Seacole, Florence Nightingale, and an annoying poem by Tennyson commemorating a total military cock-up. You could call me a naive Dove, I probably am, but I am hoping the war will end peacefully. I hope the Ukraine democracy survives this pointless and brutal Russian assault that is, as we speak, racking up an increasing civilian body count. It's always the ordinary people who pay for war. If there's anything we should learn from science fiction like Doctor Who and Dune is that war is failure. Before we end this item, which is getting a bit depressing, I would like to at least convey again my compliments to the brave Russian peace protesters and the non-state controlled media, and I hope all those Asian and African students studying in Ukraine have all been safely evacuated. Those were actually my brief thoughts about the Ukraine. Believe me, we're talking about it a lot more than you just heard at home. I suspect the whole of the UK, the whole of Europe, maybe the whole world is talking about this. As I said, there are conflicts going on all over the globe, and they all deserve some attention. Ah, that was heavy. Let's move on to media. And as I said at the top of the show, I'm going to talk about some vanilla media that I have consumed. Yes, I do watch 
and listen and read and mainly watch these days other things apart from science fiction, fantasy and horror. The first of those things is The Responder. This is a grim urban drama about a grizzled, old and jaded cop played by Martin Freeman and his bright young partner. It's set up north and now I can't remember where it's actually set. Manchester or Liverpool? I'm terribly sorry. I've already forgotten. I watched a couple of episodes and then I'd had enough because although it was well acted, I thought the drama was too drab and miserable and I hated all the characters. Well played. Actors that I liked, but the characters, they stank. Next, I watched Chloe on BBC iPlayer. In the drama Chloe, Chloe is a young woman who stalks an old friend on the internet, on social media. When that friend dies, she decides to make up a fake persona in order to go undercover and unravel the mystery of her death. There are themes of internet stalking, love, lust, envy, yet we're almost getting seven deadlies there, unresolved relationships, personal betrayal, reinvention of one's persona, being a carer, Chloe's a carer of her cantankerous is the kindest way to say it, mother, and all this is mixed into a murder mystery. With all those topics in one TV program, it's an ambitious thing to try and pull off, and it doesn't quite. Although I thought it was tense and thrilling and well acted, because of so many topics so thinly spread, I thought the plot fell apart at the end. Maybe not enough time was invested in how we should end this. I'm okay with an ambiguous denouement, but not so much with the way Chloe finished, which was extremely muddled. Another bit of plain vanilla drama that I started to watch was a medical memoir dramatised into a TV series called This Is Going To Hurt. Yes, another gritty medical memoir. If you're familiar at all with the 90s drama Cardiac Arrest, which was extremely popular and gritty and cynical, this is similar, though it's set in an obstetrics ward. The main character, played by Ben Whishaw, is great. Well, of course, the main character's going to be well-acted if Ben Whishaw is the actor. The story is gripping, but too intense to be enjoyable. It's a bit of an ordeal to get through it. I also thought that the occasional fourth wall breaking by the protagonist was, well, really, it was intolerable. There's no way to (laughs) gloss that over. I hated that. 
So, all in all, I don't think this is going to hurt is a drama for me, but if you're into gritty medical dramas, this might be for you. I just wanted to end this bit on how I think that it is very deeply ironic that some of the most discreet and secretive of professions, such as, for example, physicians in this case, or special forces operators, or spies, none of those professions seem to have members who can keep their mouths shut. They trot out memoir after memoir, and the publishing industry loves it because people love to buy them. That's market forces for you. And just as I said that, a siren went off outside. Ah, okay. We're 22 minutes in, and I've finished the culture that I wanted to talk about today. Let us move on to technology. This is something I feel I might have already talked about. I recently spruced up my entries on Google Maps. Well, my one entry on Google Maps. Well, two, actually. I submitted my own home because people delivering stuff from courier companies and Amazon and stuff like that, could never find our house. So I had to go into Google Maps and alter the address, because the address as it was put my house in the middle of a dual carriageway. <laughs> Which, I assure you, is not where it's located. The thing that I went into Google Maps to do was just update and spruce up and make sure it still worked. It didn't, so I fixed it. One of the places I used to live, I'm pretty sure I've talked about this before in a podcast, but pretty sure isn't 100% sure, and that is a historic building, a small house with a false front, as you'd see in a western. Do you know those Western movies where you have saloons and hotels and stuff like that in one of those Wild West strip towns. And the front have these roofs that look quite elaborate, but they're only the front. So if you go behind, you just see a flat sloping roof. There is nothing behind that. It's just to give the impression of grandeur. Well, I had a small version of one of those houses, and I lived in there in northern Canada when I worked as a museum curator. If you have a look in the show notes, you'll be able to visit that house and have a look at it. Well, I say have a look at it, because after I left, the house was lifted onto a truck and hauled away, and it's now a permanent historic exhibit somewhere. can't remember where. Someone did tell me. And yeah, I'm not joking about that. My house is now a historic exhibit. If you click on the blue location pin in Google Maps, a photograph will come up. And yes, that is me in the photograph. I still have that barber coat. I do not have those camo pants anymore. I've got a different pair. <laughs> but if you're curious, that is one of the places I used to live. Next did you know you can now block Google Docs spammers? This is not a new item, it's probably a year or two old, because Google implemented this some time ago, but I actually used it just very recently. 
That is because I once signed up with a writing circle. We turned out to be not a good match, and I left, but that wasn't before the group's leader shared with me all his group's work through Google Docs. Despite years of me telling this chap to stop, he just didn't get the message, and so I suffered for years seeing my docs clogged up with work that should remain private because it did not belong to me. And if you're a creative of any kind, you do not want to get involved in copyright issues. Confidentiality is important, and I was just seeing a whole bunch of other people's documents, and I'm fairly sure they did not want to share those with me. After millions of user complaints about people in a similar situation of not wanting stuff shared with them, though usually that's harmful spam and threats and things like that, Google have finally got the message, and you can now block people from sharing docs with you. There is an option to block that user from sharing documents with you. It probably blocks their email as well, but, you know, I haven't spoken to this guy for ages. And yeah, being able to block people from sharing docs is really, really useful, and it took Google a bloody long time to get around to doing that. I don't know why that just wasn't built in in the first place. Ah, technology. Is health part of technology? I suppose it is. This is my chance to rant a bit in a roundabout way about why I have not been podcasting recently. I had an appointment not so long ago with my general practitioner about the skin rotting around my right eye, It may or may not be some type of eczema, apparently. Hence this week's episode's title, Roy's Ominous Tower, R-O-T, Rot. During the examination, the doctor took my blood pressure, and the alarm on the blood pressure monitor went off. It went off a few times, he was a bit worried. Instead of calling an ambulance as is required by the instructions given to you on a blood pressure monitor, he decided that I wasn't immediately going to expire and that maybe something was wrong with his monitor, and just sent me home and said, send in your readings for a week. Before we get on to that blood pressure, about the eczema around my eye, I was given a whole bunch of new ointments, and what are the ointments? although no one told me about the side effects, it really burns. You put it around your eye, its trade name is Protopic. I've got a generic version that's called something else. It's supposed to reduce the effectiveness of your immune system so that you stop overproducing skin cells, I suppose, and it's supposed to calm your eczema down. What... No one told me, and I had to root through the information leaflet to find out, was that it can make you sick. It can make you feel like you've got flu-like symptoms. Flu-like symptoms sound so innocuous. It knocked me on my ass yesterday. Also, when you put it on, I was having periods when it felt like someone had taken a blow lamp to my eye. 
perhaps that's a slight exaggeration, but it was getting hot. And then it would calm down, then it would get hot again. It was weird and disturbing. It did help my eczema, but the consultant at the hospital who my GP consulted with recommended that I took it twice a day. I took it once and had several days of hell. I don't think it's possible to take that twice a day. I think I would die. So, yeah, I don't know. Read the instructions before you take your medicine. I know no one does. I know we all trust our docs, but sometimes perhaps you shouldn't. Honestly, why didn't he just warn me? Ah, anyway, back to the blood pressure. Yeah, so my blood pressure was up. I have a dodgy home monitor with a very painful armband that leaves marks on your arms. And my blood pressure was initially higher than it should be, because apparently chocolate, curry, migraine, IBS, good, and stress is not good for your blood pressure. Who knew? Because it was so high, I panicked a little, which made it higher. But I did spend a week eating healthier food, trying to stay more active, Despite Google Fit letting me down again, what a pile of crap Google Fit is. It's still not counting all my steps. I did about 7,000 steps in one day, and it counted about 1,000. What the hell is wrong with it? Anyway, where was I? Um, I was trying to sleep more. As for stress, to say stress plays a part in my blood pressure would be a vast understatement. Actually, to say that stress plays a slight part in my general health would be a vast understatement. Back to my blood pressure, the GP now says it's normal, so I no longer have to worry about that. Well, I still have to worry about it. I just don't have to worry that I'm going to imminently explode. I just have to stay on top of eating healthy food and sleeping enough, and trying to not get distressed as I have been. I also visited the NHS physio for my buggered up thumb. Ah, was that today or yesterday? Ah, who knows? Ah, time. Yeah, the physio at the hospital told me they can't do anything goodbye, which is absolutely fantastico. Yeah, a few months ago, I banged my thumb into a wall in my studio. It's because the doorway to my studio is quite narrow, and you have to kind of negotiate the chicane to get out. And I've stubbed my thumb three times. You would have thought the first time I would have learned not to do it again, but (laughs) no. And what's happened is, as the thumb has mended, it's my left thumb, it has mended straight, so it won't bend back. Which is a bit of a problem, because I play stringed instruments, and my bent thumb is usually at the back of the guitar, or ukulele, or bass neck. Really, they told me to just live with it, or figure out a different way of playing your instrument. Thank you! Yeah, sure, Tommy, Iomi, and, of course, 
the immortal, legendary Django Reinhardt. Managed it with far more problems than me, so yeah. Well, anyway, I'm going to be trying to recondition my thumb on my own. They just said, bend it back, don't worry about it. Keep bending it back, you might get mobility, and if you don't, well, you're screwed. While all this fun was going on, my mum and dad have had quite a few medical appointments, because that's what happens when you get older. This has meant running the Millennium Falcon as an unofficial non-emergency ambulance. My most pressing problem at the moment regarding health is the nightmare of PPI withdrawal, which I've talked about before, proton pump inhibitor withdrawal. Proton pump inhibitors are a type of drug that lowers stomach acid. They are incredibly addictive, which no one told me at the time. I tried withdrawing from them a couple of years ago, ended up in casualty, then I tried changing to another drug, and that was working until they took that drug off the market, because apparently it could be cancerous. So they put me on another PPI-type drug, but the drug before that was uh, an H2 inhibitor, it doesn't matter, it's very technical, but I was back on the addictive drugs for a while, I've tried to wean myself off, taking one a day, then then one every other day, then one every few days. And what happened when my eye problem kicked in recently, the eczema over my right eye, I went for a week of not feeling very hungry anyway, and I managed to come off the PPIs. Well, so I thought... As my eye problem has cleared up, my appetite improved, and the acid came back again. So I'm back on a very restricted diet, trying to bring that acid down. Stress, of course, does not help. Although I'm not terribly ill, I do have a lot of minor health issues, which, when you combine them together and then add the stress are more than the sum of their parts and more than capable of being debilitating when combined. That is my very, very roundabout way of telling you why there has been a lack of podcasts from me lately. I do hope that will change. I do have a lot of material already written. I just need to sit down and do the podcast, but, you know, acid. I don't know, if you've ever had chronic acid reflux constantly, not just every now and then, but constantly, it can take it out of you, man. Uh. Finally, microphone choice. I talk about microphones quite a lot because I'm a podcaster and microphones are important and I have been through a process of upgrading my studio equipment. As you've heard, and as I've constantly talked about, I've been swapping mics in and out of the podcast over the past few months. Do you want to hear my conclusions? Here they are. Okay, let us start off with the cheapest, the Behringer XM8500. This was my first proper mic. Before that, I was just using phones and 
very, very cheap gaming headsets. When I say very, very cheap, I mean like pound shop headsets. So the Behringer was a great upgrade from that. I have found over the years that I've used it that it is a very clear sounding microphone, though it is sensitive to breath and mouth clicks, much more so than the SM58 that I'm talking into right now. The AT875R, which was my second mic, is a very clear shotgun mic from Audio-Technica, but it picks up every damn mouth click. It is unmerciful. The SM58, this one that you're listening to, is very good at screening handling noise. It has a good sound. It is definitely less mouth-clicky than the XM8500, but it is hissy. Finally, my newest mic, the SM7B. I find that mic smooth, and it masks some of my mouth clicks, but also made those remaining clicks quite hard to find and edit out in Audacity. Honestly, if you're listening to this and thinking, which one should I pick? Any of those mics will sound good. But I found the SM7B needed the least editing in post-production. About 33% less than my second choice, which is the mic I'm speaking into right now, the SM58. Both are from Shure. The SM7B also has a very definite, pleasing vintage tone that is extremely hard to convey in automatically compressed YouTube mic reviews. The SM7B is therefore my mic of choice. When I'm in the studio, if I'm on the road, much as I'd like to be capable of hand-holding the Shure SM7B, and I've seen others do it, I'm not sure that I could do it for the length of a podcast. On the road, I will be using, at least for the time being, the SM58, plugged into my little Sony recorder. And the reason I've got that set up today is I'm not in the studio. I'm actually in the Tower of Wizardry. (laughs) Upstairs bedroom. On the other hand, if you are on a budget, please remember the sound difference between a cheap mic and an expensive one. For example, the sound difference between the Behringer XM8500, which retails for about £20 in the UK, and an SM7B, which retails from about £330 in the UK, is disappointingly, actually, not that great. There is a difference, and it does make a difference to my workflow and what I like listening to. Is it a £310 difference in sound? Not really. In quality of build, maybe that contributes to it, but if your budget doesn't stretch to an SM7B, 
Don't despair. You don't have to be like all the other podcasters out there. An XM8500 from Beringer will do fine. You will need an interface or a mixer. You may have noticed I haven't mentioned any USB mics. I have had experience with USB audio equipment and I have not been very impressed. I had one mic very early on. Admittedly, it wasn't a very good mic, but it was a USB mic. And it had one hell of a ground loop. There was a constant mm, through all my recordings, and I just gave up before I even started using it. And since then, I've favoured analog gear. Finally, I just want you to consider a floor stand. Floor stands, like the ones you see pop singers singing into, are simpler, more reliable, they are quieter because they don't transmit table noise, and cheaper than a good desk boom arm. They also place you in a more ergonomic position. Standing up is better for you generally, and also it makes you sound better. Personally, I've learned that I prefer the flexibility of using a mic on a floor stand, even though I've just invested not so long ago, in a fairly decent desk-mounted boom arm. Wow, we have been running on for quite a time. We are now at the end of the show. I don't really have much else to say, other than I'm praying that the traffic gets less before the end of the show, because every few seconds I have to pause and re-say something, because some annoying motor vehicle goes past. But we've talked about this so much, complained rather about this so much in this podcast, I'm sure it's boring you silly. Anyway, that is it. That is the end of this episode. Hopefully this episode marks the recommencing of the podcast, which has a terribly unreliable schedule. I really apologize for that. The show crash is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Matur, a writer. Matur is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at roymatur.com. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen, though Apple Podcast reviews are particularly useful to me. You can also recommend my show to a friend or a mortal enemy, or click on the contact or support link on the website, which will enable you to get to my social media or my email and send me a comment or a question or something you'd like me to cover. And you could also contribute a little to the upkeep of this podcast for a minimum of £3 UK, which is absolutely bugger all. Okay, it's not completely bugger all, but it's fairly bugger all. It is less than any Starbucks beverage. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I do appreciate that you were listening. And you were listening to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, the UK Geek Podcast. I still hate the title of this show. This was episode 430, recorded on Wednesday, the 16th of March, 2022. Again, I had to think about that. And the time at the end of the show is 17.43.15. Thanks again for listening, and bye-bye for now. Bye!